Hi, my name is JC and this is why I give. Personally, one of the things I believe is that we as humans have a tendency to be, what I say, like water. We tend to seek the path of least resistance and, you know, we like going where things are easy and being called to give. It's not always something that's easy, but it's something that's great and wonderful and God really rewards people who go ahead and give. And that doesn't mean that the reward's going to be a financial return. God is not an investment bank. He's not someone that's going to go ahead and be filling out accounts for us, but he is faithful and rewarding and just letting us live out the gifts, the time, the ability to go ahead and invest in other people, I think it's the greatest thing that we can go ahead and do. And I mean, in the Bible, we're told that if one of you sees a brother that's in need and, you know, you say like, oh, it's kind of like send them off on their way, just kind of like tell them, oh, God bless you. And, you know, that really doesn't do anything to take care of their immediate need. And I think Parfi does a great job of, you know, tending to these spiritual needs, but also looking at what do people need that's really where you see Christ lived out, you know, when people reach out and they basically are Christ in other people's lives. And I think that's the wonderful thing that I see here, that people are engaged in that way. It's just wonderful to be able to go ahead and participate and be able to give back. And as I think we're reminded here, it's not just about money, but um, yeah, ridiculous generosity. It's part of the uh, part of your culture and I'm so glad to see a body that gives back just giving generously allows for people here to go ahead and be able to make a difference in people's lives um, sometimes we may not all be able to take a trip down to India and see the people directly um, that are rescued and but it's so wonderful to see and to know that we're able to make a difference and help others that may be lacking in just one small part. And we ourselves as Parkview, we're part of a larger church and God has given so many different things to different parts of the world. And just to be able to see how those bodies of believers can come together with their gifts, whether it's financial or you know, their skills, their time, their courage to go ahead and be able to make a difference. It's wonderful to see how those things come together, and I think we see that here at Parkview, and it's just amazing. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Uh, as we've already mentioned, and as you know, we're in this series right now in which we're exploring the question of why. You know, why... Um, why as a church, why as Christians do we do some of the things that we do? And, and today I want to talk about giving. And I realize that when it comes to topics like the ones we've already addressed, um, you know, worship, teaching scripture, connecting in life groups, those topics are by and large readily welcomed and accepted, right? But the idea of generosity, uh, the idea of giving, and specifically financial giving, tends to create a bit of an angst in some of us. And trust me when I tell you this, nobody, nobody in the church is sending me emails, texting me messages, leaving voicemails, or banging on my office door, pleading with me to please, please, please teach on money and the giving of it. That's not happening. And part of the reason for that, I think, is cultural. You know, generosity is not necessarily a virtue actively pursued in our culture, and so we've become much better at defending what is ours than we are giving it away. 
But the bigger part of the reason, I think, is personal and spiritual in that money tends to exert a strange, strong power over us. And it's just easier not to talk about it because then we don't have to face the truth of it and, uh, and deal with the matter directly. However, the problem with that is all throughout Scripture, God directly addresses the issue of money, refusing to let matters of greed, uh, envy, selfishness, and financial irresponsibility go unchecked in the lives of his people. Jesus talked about money a lot, you know, to people from all walks of life, both in the temple and in the marketplace. Why? Because he understood how money has a way of captivating human hearts and minds, fueling in us unhealthy, sinful attitudes and behaviors. Or as the Apostle Paul summarized it, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's true. So generous giving is, a, is an important spiritual discipline for us as Christians. Now, in the Old Testament, there's this interesting uh, and pretty well-known instance when God's people were really struggling with this, 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 this giving thing. You know, selfishness, envy, greed had become a way of life for people, uh, all at the expense of God's temple. And so God addresses the matter directly. Through the prophet Malachi, he says to the people, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, there are some uh, in Christian circles, in my opinion, who mishandle this text, uh, so I want to be very careful in its explanation and its application. Because, look, we are not Israel in 400 B.C., the temple no longer exists, and we don't, we don't live under the Old Testament law, the Levitical system. However, that doesn't mean there's, there's nothing uh, here to learn, because I, I think this interaction reveals a great deal about generosity and God's intentions and his expectations uh, for his people when it comes to giving. In fact, right, right, right off the bat, let me just say that the people's lack of generosity in this, this particular situation, their lack of generosity, generosity specifically in giving to the temple must have been quite severe, given God's language. Because God says to the people, he says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? The Hebrew term we translate rob uh, here is very rare. It's used only one other time in the Old Testament. And it carries not just the idea of, of taking something that doesn't belong to you, it, it means to pillage, to loot, to plunder someone's home, their wealth, their property. In the ancient world, it was a violent term. And the people were stunned that God would use this term and that he would say such a thing. And we know they were stunned by their reaction. They say, how is this possible? You know, how do we, how can we rob and pillage and plunder you, God? And the Lord's answer was simple and practical. He said, you rob me in tithes and offerings. Here's my Reiki summary. God says, when it comes to your money, you lack true generosity. You spend too much on yourselves and give too little away for my sake, i.e., the people were withholding from God and ignoring their responsibilities. Based on God's language, uh, I have to say that such stinginess and irresponsibility is, a, is perhaps a far more cosmic evil than we may think. And what I find interesting in all this, if not troubling, is how God's people, they didn't even see it. 
They, did, they didn't see it. I mean, either they were in denial or they were just totally oblivious. Perhaps it was a combination of the two. But whatever the case is, the people didn't see it. They, they were blind to their selfish withholding. But again, that's what money can do. You know, whether, whether you're in the 4th century B.C. or 21st century A.D. makes no difference. Money can exert a strange and strong power over us, blinding us to, to our greed and our selfishness. And that reality is implied in this interaction between God and his people, but it's explicitly affirmed in other biblical texts. But tell me, what, what is greed anyway? How would you define it? For me, I, I would say that greed is an excessive worrying about, concern over, love for, pursuit of, need of, hoarding of more and more money and possessions for ourselves. And the overall teaching of Scripture is that unlike other more blatant sins, greed is... Well, greed is difficult, if not impossible, to see in our lives. A couple weeks ago, if you remember, we looked at Psalm 19, right, in which David, David uh, prays. He says, Lord, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden sins. And we noted how David's question is rhetorical. You know, the answer is obvious. Who can discern their hidden errors, their hidden sins? No one can. No one can fully do that. No one can fully discern their, their own faults, their own failures, their, their own sins. Not, not you, not me, not David. I mean, sure, our blatant sins, our, our, our willful acts of, of disobedience toward God, we can, we can recognize those. But David was particularly concerned about his hidden faults, sins of the human heart that are way more difficult to identify, let alone avoid. Others may see them in us, but we struggle to see them in ourselves. And greed is one of those things. Which is exactly why Jesus said to a very large group of people one day, he said, he said, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You ever wonder why Jesus never said, be on guard against all kinds of lying? It's because we know when we're lying. You ever wonder why Jesus never said, be, uh, be on guard against all kinds of adultery? It's because we, we know adultery is wrong and we know when we're committing it. Ah, but greed, you see. Greed, mm, much more insidious, which is why Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked about money a lot. Over half of his parables deal with the issue. Let me tell you, over the years as a pastor, I've had men and women come into my office uh, to share and, and really to confess all kinds of struggles with sin, all kinds of sin, anger, lust, bitterness, pride, but never greed. No one's ever come in and said, Ray, man, I have, I've got this serious problem with greed and a lack of generosity with my money. It's never happened. Why? Because most of us don't see it as a problem. Mo most of us don't see it in ourselves. You know, it's one of those hidden sins. It's one of those sins that if we notice it in somebody else, if we notice it in others, we hold those people in disdain because, because nobody likes greedy, selfish people who refuse to help others. But to what end are you using your money to help? How generous are you, really? How easily we become what we claim to hate. How easy it is to overlook our own selfishness and sinfulness and the self-righteous haze of noticing the failures of others the greed of others. That's why Jesus said, watch out. Watch out. Listen, uh, if we take Scripture seriously, 
if we take God seriously, if we take David and Paul and Jesus' warning seriously, then for our own sake, for our own spiritual health and well-being, when it comes to money, our working assumption should be that greed, to some degree, is a problem for all of us. All of us. And therefore, we should always be on guard against it, always checking ourselves. But here, here's some advice. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself when you're trying to discern such an insidious and easily uh, concealed sin. Instead, sit down with someone you know. Sit down with a, your spouse. Sit down with a friend. Sit down with an accountant. Just sit down with somebody who you trust. Open your giving record and ask, am I being generous with my finances? Am I spending too much money on myself? Is there, is there more that I can give away for the sake of others, for the sake of of God's kingdom. I challenge each of you to do that this week. See how hard it is to even think about doing that? Money has a strange and strong power over us. Now, if you're willing to face that reality and honestly evaluate your life, your generosity, your giving, you may say, or you may ask, well, okay, but how does one begin to measure financial generosity? Does the scripture offer a guideline to check if your giving is in, even in the ballpark of what God expects? And there is a guideline. It's not the only one, but it is the predominant one in scripture, and it's mentioned here in Malachi 3. The people ask God, how are we robbing you, pillaging you, plundering you? And God says what? He says, in tithes and offerings. As some of you know, the word tithe means one-tenth. And in the Old Testament, all of God's people, without exception, were required to give one-tenth, 10% of their annual income to the work and to the ministry of the temple. For us, it would be like 10 cents on every dollar. But obviously, at this point in their history, they weren't doing that. The people weren't doing that. They were ignoring the tithe. Offerings were different. That term refers to uh, giving opportunities that were above and beyond the tithe that came around periodically. So for the sake of our discussion, just know that it was the tithe, the 10% of an individual or family's income, annual income, that served as God's baseline standard of generous giving. Does that carry over to the New Testament? Everybody wants to know that, right? Well, in all of Jesus' comments about money, and he made a lot of them, he never demands tithing. However, he does affirm it, and he does so in a, in a, in a significant context. In one instance, when he was challenging the religious experts of the day, Jesus said to them, he said, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth, you tithe all you have, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, Jesus affirmed their tithing, but he condemns them for doing it without any sense of justice or compassion. See, for, for, the, for the Pharisees, tithing was just one more cold, empty, ritualistic thing they, they had to do to try and prove their moral superiority. And Jesus says, tithing is right, it's good, but it should, it should be done out of love for God and for the sake of justice, for the sake of others. At another time, Jesus told people, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give back to God what is God's. And many scholars believe that that's a reference to the tithe. But all that to say is, in both the Old and the New Testament, 10% uh, of one's annual income was the, the, the assumed baseline standard for financial giving and considered the starting point uh, of generosity for God's people. And it's important we're clear on this, that when God says to the people, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings, 
he's talking specifically about finances. The people couldn't say, um, people couldn't say, you know, well, I'm tithing my time or I'm tithing my business services. No. Uh, these are economic terms. These are money terms. In fact, when God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the word storehouse, it's a... It's an ambiguous translation. It's not a good one. It's not helpful because the Hebrew term that's used here literally means treasure. So the, a more accurate translation is treasure house or treasury. It was where in the temple where the silver, the gold, the money, the jewels were kept and then used to fund the ministry of the temple. So essentially, God is saying to the people, he says, stop robbing, robbing me and bring your treasure, bring your money, bring the tithe, all of it into my, into my treasury, into my house, into my temple, in worship of and in service to me and for the benefit of others. And the implication being that the people were giving their tithe, their money, their treasures to some other treasury, most likely their own. They were either spending it on themselves or just, just kind of hoarding it away. And like it or not, God refers to that as robbery. Now keep in mind, God himself doesn't need our money, right? We all know that. God doesn't need our money. So why does he ask us to give it? Four reasons. There are probably more. Let me give you four quick ones. First, he asks us to give generously because through our giving, we acknowledge that all we have is a gift from him. And I know that may sound weird to some of us, and you may say, hey man, I've worked hard in my life for what I have. No doubt that's true. But keep in mind, you've done so with what? With the talents, the abilities, the passions, the circumstances, the opportunities, the health that God has provided you. Back in history, when David and the people of Israel were raising money to build the temple, David offered this prayer. He said, praise be to you, Lord God Almighty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give so generously? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Translation, David says, everything we have, Lord, everything, including our money, is a, measure, is a measure of your goodness and grace. Secondly, through generous giving to God, we acknowledge that he doesn't, he doesn't relinquish ownership uh, of something uh, when he gives it. And therefore, we relate to what we have um, as a money manager does to the wealth of an investor. It's a stewardship issue. We take responsibility for their money. You know, we're, we're accountable for how we use it and we're to do so wisely in line with the directions, the purposes, the values, the goals of the, the divine investor, if you will. And if we don't, it's fraud. And Jesus told a parable about this called the parable of the bags of gold in Matthew chapter 25. Third reason God wants us to give is for the work of his ministry done in the world done in his name for his glory and for the benefit of people who are in physical, material, and spiritual need. And then fourth, uh, the reason God commands us to give is because radical generosity is the only true cure for greed and selfishness. Well-known researcher George Barna uh, wrote a book a while back called Boiling Point. In the book, he examines the condition of American culture and why why the Christian church is struggling to make, it, make a difference. Do you know what Barna said uh, is the biggest barrier? Christians. Christians. 
Based on his research and analysis, he asserts that the reason the church is failing to have a spiritual impact on the culture is because believers think of themselves as individuals first, Americans second, and Christians third. And he said until that prioritization is rearranged, the church will continue to lose influence. He wrote that 16 years ago. And I don't think much has changed. In fact, look around the culture. What impact have we had or are we having? Minimal at best, I would argue. And let's face it, greedy individualism is like, is like this evil cancer that has spread throughout our culture and into the church. And as a result, what matters most to us is us. We've become so self-absorbed and so consumer-driven our, you know, our, own, our own comfort, our own opinions, our own preferences, our own desires are paramount to anything and anyone else, including God. Our greed and selfish withholding is hampering the church. And make no mistake, just as it was with the people of Israel, greed makes robbers of us all. Which is why at Parkview, uh, as a way of battling against greed and really trying to make a spiritual difference in our world and in our community, one of our core values is radical generosity. And again, I realize talking about money can be unnerving for some people, especially when considering the whole idea of tithing. So let me just, let me just say this. Giving 10% of your income to God is not a legalistic requirement. It's not. You know, as followers of Jesus, we're no longer operating under the law, but under grace. And so we give not out of some religious obligation, but we give out of love. And we give in response to all that God has done for us. And we give for the benefit of others. That said, however, when it comes to money, tithing does serve as the biblical guideline in identifying generosity because the true standard is all about sacrifice. That's the issue. Get this. Uh, while Jesus affirmed tithing, his idea of generosity had no limits. It had no limits. Case in point, the poor widow who walked into the temple and put all that she had into the temple treasury. Jesus watched her do it. And then he affirmed her faith and her sacrifice, which in her case was 100%, wasn't 10. So understand, ultimate generosity is measured not so much by the percentage, but by the pinch, by the sacrifice that you make, which is why which is why I'll never stand up here on this platform and tell you what amount of money you should give to the ministry of this church. I'll never do that because you know why? You don't answer to me. But you do and you will answer to God. And so will I. And he's always watching. He knows what and how we give. I want you to know, <clears throat> my wife Margie and I, uh, we are currently a two-income family. And we tithe uh, out of our combined annual gross income to Parkview. Uh, we've been tithing to the church since right after, well, right when we started grad school, we started doing it. We've been doing it ever since 30-some years. Um, and then on top of that, we give to a number of ministries and organizations and individuals outside this church who, who we believe in and who are doing some, some great things, and we want to support them. Most of them are Christian. A couple of them are not. But even in doing all that, 
Margie and I are constantly checking each other and asking one another if there's more that we can do. Are we being truly generous with the money, with what God has given us? Why do we keep asking and, and, and evaluating? Because Jesus said, watch out for greed. And we're trying to do that. And the only reason I'm telling you what we do is because I want you to know I would never, I would never ask you to do something that I'm unwilling to do. And as your pastor, for the sake of God, for the sake of God's work in the world, for our own culture, for the spiritual welfare of people who need Jesus, for your own spiritual health and benefit, I'm asking you to evaluate your financial giving and move toward radical generosity. Now, all that kind of begs the question, um, where are we as a church in terms of generosity and giving? So I want to invite Dave Davis up on the platform with me, our executive pastor, uh, and I've asked him to help provide sort of an overview uh, of, our, of, our, of our finances. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, great job. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Glad you like it. Yeah, it was good. Okay. Feel good about it? I feel wonderful. Good. Great. Well, listen, I, uh, I want to give you just some information, but before I do, I just want to say I am so excited that we're talking about this topic today. And I, I get that for some, it's weird and awkward and you start grabbing down to your purse or your wallet, and you're going, ah, it's church, what are we doing? But, but it's true. For us, we really do try to normalize the conversation because, as Ray has just said, for us, it is way more about you and your personal development, your own relationship with God than it will ever be about lights and bricks and mortar and, and that type of thing. So it's about making a difference in your life and your relationship with God, but it's also about the significant impact that when we do things collectively, when we come together to do more than we could as individuals, the, the difference that we can make in the world is significant. So let me tell you a little bit about what's happened uh, this year. And don't feel the pressure to write this down. We're actually going to send this to you in an email, and it'll be available on our website as well for you to, to check out. So in 2016, on average, every Sunday, nearly 1,300 people came to Parkview. So on a weekly average, over the course of 2016, 1,300 people showed up here on a Sunday morning. And in 2016, our community generously gave a total of $2,831,383, wait, $2,831,360 in tithes and donations. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's outstanding. And beyond that $2 million, we also received in the month of December through our Reclaiming Christmas initiative an additional $130,000, almost $131,000 in, in donations and giving. Plus, we did $12,000 worth of sales in the Resource Center, and all of that goes towards Reclaiming Christmas as well. And because we believe in this, Parkview is also contributing. So this week, we'll be distributing checks in the amount of $160,000 to three organizations who are standing in the gap with the refugees around the world. And I don't know if you've watched any television in the last 24 hours, but you know that this is a legitimate topic. And this is one way that God's church, this church, is going to say, we are not afraid. And we are going to support these organizations who are caring for and loving on and bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to refugees. There's another part to this story. So let me unpack the giving as it, uh, as it shows up here. 
So if everyone who calls Parkview home showed up, there'd be around 3,000 people here, right? So it's 1,300. We recognize that on average people come maybe two, two and a half times a month. So if everyone showed up, there'd be around 3,000 people here. But by contrast, only 800 people give on a regular and consistent basis in 2016. So not everyone is giving to the work of Parkview. Additionally, another way to look at that would be that 27% of the people who call Parkview Home give, gave in 2016 in a financial and consistent way. And on average, that 27% gives $240 a month. Of the 800 people who gave to Parkview in 2016, 60%, 60% of the 800 who gave, gave less than $600 for the year. Now, we're never going to tell you, as Ray just said, we're never going to tell you how much. But we are going to ask you, we're going to challenge you to give until you feel it. There should be a sense of tension in your giving. But with that, with, that, uh, with those resources, a lot of stuff happened in this year. More than 700 people stepped out of the Sunday morning experience and joined one of 62 different life groups in the course of 2016. We saw 74 people that we know of say, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. Yeah, you can clap for that. We saw 80 kids make that same first-time commitment to Jesus Christ in kids' camp. There were more than 30 baptisms in 2016, and there were there was resources given to the schools along North Avenue where kids whose were performing below standards. Their grades were raised. We saw uh, girl, young girls who had been trafficked in India rescued, find Jesus, and get baptized in a very, very significantly difficult circumstance, right? We've seen wells go up in different parts of the world and provide clean drinking water. Your generosity, the generosity of this place, makes a difference every single day. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. But there's more. There's more certainly that God has for Parkview to do, and there's more growth in your own life. And so I have some challenges for you. Everybody who comes in this morning is at, approaches giving in a different way. And so I have some challenges for those folks. If you've never given to Parkview, if you've never given any finances to Parkview, we're never going to tell you how much to give, but we're always going to challenge you to give. And so if that's you, if you're in that camp, I've never given to Parkview, we want to encourage you to do so. And maybe you're in that camp where you, you give, but it's not a consistent thing. It's just something you do on an inconsistent basis. I want you to know that Parkview plans and strategizes and leads because of the consistent giving. And we need that. We need to know that giving is happening in a real and consistent way. And if you're in one of those two camps, I want to tell you, you can trust the finances of this church. Not only do we do an independent audit with the nation's leading church audit firm, we also just recently received accreditation from the ECFA, which is the gold standard in a sort of accreditation of church finances. The third challenge would be if you're not giving in such a way that you feel that pinch, maybe you show up and it's a little bit here and a little bit there and you're not, it's not really feeling that pinch for you, we want to challenge you to step up your game. The fourth is if you're giving out of a place of obligation, if you're giving because you feel like you're going to earn something from that, then we want to encourage you to stop giving. Because giving biblically should be out of a place of joy. And if that isn't you, then stop giving and figure out where that comes from. 
And then the last challenge that I want to leave with you is by far, by far the best way for you and the best way for Parkview for you to give is electronically. And I know some of you are like a little creeped out about the whole idea of electronic giving. When the offering basket comes, I'm not going to have anything to put in there. What are people going to think? I want to tell you to embrace the future because uh, (laughs) this is the future. And it is by far the best way for Parkview to receive your tithes, your offerings. On top of that, it encourages a regular disciplined giving. This is how my family gives. This is how the Kohlbachers give. Every week we give in that way. And we've made it very easy. On the back of your bulletin, on this slide, you can text to give. and, And we've made it very simple and very safe to set up. So I just want to say thank you. On behalf of the staff, the leadership of this church, I want to thank you for your ongoing and faithful and sacrificial giving. And to those 800 of you who gave in the year, this year, in 2016, thank you. Your generosity is making a difference here. It's making a difference around the world. And hopefully, it's making a difference in your life as well. What do you think? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I I, I thank you for that. That was helpful. It's helpful for me. you know, I've learned, I've learned in, over the years, being a pastor for, what, 29 years now, <clears throat> in my opinion, this is my opinion, the, the, only, the only people who complain about talking about giving are those who don't, mm. or those who feel guilty about their lack of giving, because um, it is a spiritual discipline, and we are called to it, and we can ignore it all we want, but, but it's a reality, and we just, we want, we, we're, we're talking about because we want what's best for you. Uh, it's not just about getting; it's about it's about you growing in, in your faith, and um, and that's spiritual discipline. Because really, g- radical generosity is the only cure to greed. And 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 man, I tell you what, our culture needs the church more than ever, um, more than ever. So that's good. Thanks. Um, I want to read, just read something the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church. He wrote to Christians in the early church about giving. And he said to them, he said, See that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Notice the cause and effect in Paul's language. You know, he's saying, he's saying that when, when you come to know and experience, really experience the grace of God through faith in Jesus, it changes things. It changes your perspective on things, including your money. And out of that, out of that grace that you experience will come, and out of sincere love will come radical generosity. Paul says, you will, your giving will ex- excel. And I hope that's true for each and every one of us. For how can we, how can we withhold from the one who has graciously given all that we have, including life. Let's pray. Father, as I, um, as I look at our culture, our society, I find myself speechless in recent days. Um... And I can't help but have this feeling that somewhere along the line, the church, the church has, um, has failed. Or at the very least, as George Barnaport pointed out 16 years ago, we have lost our influence and impact because we're worried about ourselves first. 
And then we see ourselves as Americans second and Christians third. And until we turn that around, until we put Jesus first and commit to him um, first and foremost, I think we're spinning our wheels. But I look at our culture and I see the brokenness, I see the fear, the prejudice. Um, and I, I just want us as a church to do what we can to make a difference, even if it's just one life at a time, Lord. In order to do that, both here and around the world, we need to be radically generous, each and every one of us, myself included. May we have the courage to sit down this week with our spouse, with our friend, and, uh, and ask the question before you, you know, are we really generous? And if not, um, Father, work in our hearts and lives that we might release what we have for your good, for your glory, and for the benefit of others. We love you this morning. May not just our words express that love, but may our lives and our generosity. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we? I want to thank you all for joining us this morning. And I just, I just want to, again, make sure we're clear on this. We don't give generously because we're trying to earn something from God. And if that's what you think, again, we're serious. Stop giving until you get it, until you get it right, until you figure out the grace of God that comes in Jesus. Because once that grace touches your life, then it changes everything. And then we want to give for our sake, for God's sake, for the sake of our world, for the sake of people who need Jesus. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, to take a look at that in your life. And um, if you need to, make a change. Um, maybe this week you've, you've um, had some difficult news, maybe challenging things in your life. You want to talk to somebody following the service. Our prayer team will be up here in the front. Or maybe you just had a fantastic week and you're just dying to tell somebody about it. They're down here for you as well, right? Okay, so they, they want to celebrate with you as well. So take advantage of their ministry. But thanks for being here. Let me pray. And um, don't forget, sign up for Life Groups is still open. You can stop by the table in the lobby and, and get connected, okay? Let's pray. And now, Lord, we ask that as we, we leave this place, as we go out into our beautiful, chaotic, broken, fearful world, may we go with hope. May we live our lives with such, in response to you, in, with such generosity and love that we point people to Jesus. Uh, Lord knows our culture and society needs it like never before. And so may you empower your church. Uh, Lord, may we be generous givers because you withhold nothing from us. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.